Huckabee. Marsha Blackman fights for a secure southern border. Discover the miracle after the Emanuel Church shooting. And country singer Wade Hayes performs. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! And welcome to our show. So very happy to have you with us. Now, the big news this week was that the presidential press secretary announced her resignation from the White House. Well, maybe it wasn't the biggest story at your house, but it was at our house. Yes, Sarah Huckabee Sanders is my daughter, and I'm proud of her. She loved her job. She did. And she loved serving her country and the president. She truly had a front row to history, and she made a little bit of it herself. She was beloved by many and then despised by the hateful left. But you know, she never took it personally and is a way better person than the loudmouthed loons who screamed at her in public places in front of her children or threw her out of restaurants. Now, I get asked all the time, what's she going to do? Well, I'm not sure in the long term, but in the short term, She's going to spend a lot more time with her three small children and hopefully with her amazing dad as well. That's a good idea. All right, here's a couple of show notes. You remember when Brian Welch of Corn was here recently and we jammed together? Remember that? Well, that was so much fun, and he and his daughter were just terrific. That video of us playing together went viral. I think because people who watched were taken with how much we looked alike. <laughs> they couldn't even tell who was who. <laughs> well, as you might have expected, some people's heads exploded over it, with many of his fans angry that he would appear on our show with me. Now, to his everlasting credit, his comment was this, and I quote, Governor Mike Huckabee and I may disagree or disagree on various social issues, I don't know. I've never talked to him about politics, and I don't follow politics. People can say what they want about me jamming with the gov, but this man has been nothing but humble and extremely kind to me and my daughter. Thank you, Mike Huckabee. We had a blast. And, and we loved having Brian Welch on the show. What a great guy. But guess who we found out watches this show? The original Angry Bird. Alec Baldwin appears to be a regular viewer because he recently tweeted, quote, your show is dreadful. You have no charm, insight, or intellect, end quote, end Alec. His feathers got ruffled because after he announced that he wasn't going to portray President Trump on Saturday Night Live anymore, I tweeted that it might be nice if SNL would return to being a comedy show rather than a vicious, bitter political attack. So Alec Baldwin thinks the show is dreadful and has no charm, insight, or intellect. What I would say to that is, thanks for watching, Alec. And as for your assessment, I got to tell you, it hurt. It hurt so much, I had to take half a baby aspirin just to sleep because I was so distraught by the thought that you didn't like this show. All I could do. I want to tell you about a college in America because there's one college in this country that only graduates one person at a time and only every four years. It's the Electoral College. And some people want to close that down. In fact, all 480 of the Democrats who are running for president say they want to get rid of it. But let me be fair, there are some Republicans who support that as well. And you may think that the Electoral College is an archaic and outdated process that needs to be retired along with eight-track tapes and AM transistor radios. Some of you apparently still have your eight-tracks <laughs> and still probably listen to an AM transistor, but that's another story. But like a lot of things in our Constitution created by the Founding Fathers, there is a reason they created a representative republic and not a pure democracy. So before you say, let's kill the Electoral College, 
Let's understand why we have one. The founders feared a tyranny of the majority, a nation in which some voices were drowned out and drummed out of the entire process. It was the rationale of us having three separate but equal branches of government, legislative, executive, and judicial. And that went along with a complicated but brilliant set of checks and balances. And instead of having a president elected strictly by popular vote, they intentionally created the Electoral College by which a president is actually elected by the electors in each of the states. And it's based on the votes of the people in that state which have specific electoral votes, and that's based on the size of their population and congressional representation. So it is therefore possible that a candidate could receive a larger number of votes and still not be president. Now, several years ago, when I was much younger, and of course, knew everything, <laughs> I too thought it was time to ditch the Electoral College. But I got older, wiser, and then personally was on the ballot in two presidential elections, and I found myself amazed at just how smart those founders were. The most gifted political cartoonist alive today is a friend of mine by the name of Michael Ramirez. He is a two-time Pulitzer Prize winning syndicated cartoonist for the Las Vegas Review Journal and Creator Syndicate. And his brilliant map of what the election would look like without the Electoral College shows that a president would be elected by voters in only about four states. Look at your screen. That's what the map would look like without the Electoral College. And most of America would be rendered virtually voiceless and voteless. That means that candidates would never visit most of the states, nor would voters in those states ever see or hear any of the political messages from the candidates or the parties. Now, Democrats whine that Hillary won the popular vote, and you can see the map. But what they fail to tell you is that she primarily won big in two mega-liberal, solidly Democrat states, California and New York. Her margin of popular vote was completely in those two states. In fact, the actual voting map of the 2016 election shows that President Trump won overwhelmingly in the majority of counties across the U.S., but lost on the fringes of the East and West Coast. Just look at that map. All the red represents the counties voting for Donald Trump. The blue represents those who voted for Hillary. Now, the founders were wise beyond their own understanding. By creating the Electoral College, a person who wishes to be president has to win a combination of states throughout the entire nation. What that does, it forces the candidate to visit many states and personally meet farmers, school teachers, factory workers, construction workers, people who work in offices, as well as unemployed moms and dads. A system that only focuses on just the four most populated states, that means presidential candidates would do two things and only two things. Go to high dollar donor events and hobnob with the swells who have all the money, and then they would take that money and they would spend it advertising in just those four states. Most of America would never see a candidate, would never hear an ad, they'd never see volunteers mobilize in their communities, and you'd pretty much be letting California and New York, and to a lesser degree, Florida and Texas, elect your president. You wouldn't really matter. With the Electoral College, a candidate has to figure out how to win enough states to arrive at the magic 270 Electoral College votes. And it actually means that all of America matters in the election of a president. So when you hear it said, let's get rid of the Electoral College, ask, what other of your protections written into the Constitution would those people want to get rid of as well? And then just say no. My next guest is a talented woman who has worked as a leader in business, now serving as a United States Senator from Tennessee. She's been very active in serious issues that are facing our country, including protecting our borders and citizens, as well as tackling the growing opioid crisis in our nation. Senator Marsha Blackburn, thank you for joining me tonight. Always a pleasure to have you with me. Thank you. I want thank to start you. with uh, something that happened this week. You, uh, fortunately, went to the Senate floor and blocked what would have been a unanimous consent bill that was a 
well, frankly, a cheap political stunt. Tell us about that. There was a unanimous consent request. Senator Warner and Senator Schumer, the Democratic leader, uh, were bringing it forward, and this would be uh, involving the FBI in reporting activity in campaigns. And they were couching it as reporting foreign interference into a campaign. But what the bill actually would do would be to require every campaign to basically inform someone before they talked with them. Let's say you're out knocking on a door, you would have to say, I, I'm here on behalf of someone's campaign. Are you a foreign national? <laughs> it would also expose people who wanted to comment on campaigns to say if they were a citizen or if they were a foreign national or would open them to scrutiny. So it is something that is a free speech issue and we know it was a one of those political stunts. And I have to tell you, one of the things we know, Governor, is that when you want to say this is about 2016 and about Russian interference and nobody wants foreign entities to come in and interfere with the federal government. So I commend my Democratic colleagues for finally realizing Russia is a threat, both in the physical and the virtual space. But what we have to realize also is that this is not something new. It wasn't unique to 2016. And while they're always trying to interfere with public policy, they did not interfere with any balloting process. You were recently down at the border with Mexico near El Paso. You're one of the folks that actually went down there to see yes. firsthand what's happening. What did you see and then do we really have a crisis or is it, as some of the Democrats say, a manufactured crisis? It is indeed a crisis, not only a humanitarian crisis, but also a national security crisis. When you look at what is happening at the border. And I think we're at the point that we need to surge resources to that southern border because those border patrol and God bless them and protect them and bless their families because of what they're dealing with every day. And you know, Governor, it is not only a crisis where people are just walking across our border, raising their hands and saying amnesty. It is a crisis in that they are coming in with different diseases. There are measles, mumps, H1N1 flu, there's HIV, there is TB, there's scabies, there's lice. And our Border Patrol agents are being exposed to this and I really worry about them and their families. I think what would happen if these guys one day just say, I can't take it anymore. I'm working long hours, I'm undercompensated, I show up for work, I'm shown disrespect by people that are coming in. Uh, the border facilities, the checkpoints uh, built to hold 85 people or 123 people and those two facilities are each holding over 1,200 individuals right now. You look at the drugs coming in, while I was there at the border, five kilos of fentanyl was intercepted by our border agents. Uh, you had another car that was just full of marijuana. Every quarter panel, top, bottom, all around that car. And it was amazing what they had packed into that car. And our border agents are there on the front line of this battle. And it is something that they need the resources for. And as they all told me, yes, they need the wall. They also need technology. They need more agents. They need more courts, uh, which means more judges. So the resources to combat this are important. And then Congress needs to do its job and change the asylum laws. Mexico needs to step up and meet the commitments that they have made to us to secure their southern border and to deploy the National Guard so that they are helping to deal with this because the cartels are going to continue to run across their border and our border. And the cartels deal in two things. One, they traffic human beings, which is modern day slavery. And number two, 
they deal in drugs. Senator, we always love to have you. Looking forward to having you again, and thanks for the many different bills that you are pushing on behalf of the American people. Have a great weekend, and thanks again for joining us. Thank you so much. Now, if you want to know more about Senator Marsha Blackburn and the work that she's doing, you can visit her online at blackburn.senate.gov. Also, follow her on social media at Marsha Blackburn. Keith Bilbrey, I know that you have got a little insight into what else we have on the show tonight. I'm going to throw it over to you, and you can tell the audience what's coming up. Coming up, the power of forgiveness after the Charleston, South Carolina church shooting. Then former gang leader Casey Diaz, actress Jennifer O'Neill, and country music's Wade Hayes are all here. Lots more Huckabee is on the way. Four years ago, a young man filled with racist hatred opened fire during Bible study at the Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. This story of shocking murder, but inspiring faith and amazing forgiveness is told in a new documentary produced by Stephen Curry and actress Viola Davis. It's simply called Emanuel. A white man who wanted to start a race war came to a very historic African-American church to kill black people, and that is what happened in our city. An act that he imagined would incite fear. An act that he presumed would deepen divisions that trace back to our nation's original sin. Oh, but God works in mysterious ways. The alleged killer could have never anticipated the way the families of the fallen would respond when they saw him in court in the midst of unspeakable grief with words of forgiveness. He couldn't imagine that. One of the victims was Pastor Daniel Simmons. It's a distinct honor to welcome his daughter, Rose Simmons. Rose, I want to go back to the night of that horrific shooting. When did you hear what had happened? How did it impact you? What, what was your reaction? I wasn't really interested in, you know, who the perpetrator was or especially his uh, race. That never entered my, my thought process. I merely just started thinking about how my father was receiving his rewards and now he's with the Lord. So that, that brought about uh, a peace for me. Uh, and, and it was immediate. Tell me, what is it that made it possible for you to look at that horrific situation and say, I forgive that guy and I'm going to love him and pray for him? I just start thinking about how Christ gave his life for me. And even when I was in uh, bad places in my life, how he still loved me and, and he would do that for anyone. And also, he did that for the perpetrator. You know, it really didn't have anything to do with me. It was God's grace, and, and I thank him every day. What a remarkable story. Did, did you have any idea that the impact would be so uh, universal to, to help people to understand that if you want to fight racism, this is the way to do it, through love and forgiveness? When the families began to forgive, then I knew right away that this was not going to be uh, the same. We wouldn't get the same results as as we've been getting over the country, you know, when we have uh, violence, you know, violent acts. And I knew that the Lord uh, was going to use this situation uh, to bring his people, reconcile his people back to him. It's incredible. And the thing about it is we've only just begun. What a powerful reminder that, that there is nothing on this earth, nothing that God cannot overcome through the prayers and the strength yes. and the, uh, the forgiveness of his people. And speaking of forgiveness, you were in the courtroom when the shooter was on trial. And I, I, I'm just overwhelmed that you could sit there and watch his apparent, from what I can tell, almost 
heartless expression and not be angry. Honestly, uh, I, I was moved with compassion for him. Mm. Um, I, I saw that he was there. He was alone. He didn't have any family with him. And, and you know, and I thought about him, I said, he has no one here. And it was, it was compassion. I was able to speak to him as most uh, family members were. And uh, I started out with introducing a spirit of peace as my father did when he walked into that room. So the nine victims to me started the entire process of forgiveness because of their love, because of the peace of God within them, and because how they welcomed that young man in that room. And I felt as though that I don't have a choice. This is what I must do because the grace and love they exemplified through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was our example. Rose, uh, Mother Emmanuel Church perhaps taught the whole world what love and forgiveness looks like. And your own expression of it is, is a beautiful thing. You're a beautiful human being and how grateful I am to be able to visit with you. The film that tells this incredible story is only going to be available two nights, June the 17th and the 19th. And this remarkable film is one you will not want to miss. You can get tickets. You can make reservations for your church or your group to attend. And to do so, visit emmanuelmovie.com. It's on your screen. And uh, our thanks to Rose Simmons for her incredible story. Our inspiring announcer, Keith Bilbrey, he's ready and waiting. He's going to fill us in. That's coming up next. Get ready for news that will make you laugh. Later, former gang member Casey Diaz brings hope to gang members. And actress Jennifer O'Neill brings emotional healing. It's all on Huckabee. Join in the rescue mission of Samaritan's Purse. Now, whether responding to disaster, bringing health hope to those who are trapped in sickness and poverty, or maybe serving our veterans, your gift of support can truly change lives now and forever through very practical assistance and through the good news of Christ. Now, there isn't a better way to share your blessings than through Samaritan's Purse. I hope, I genuinely hope you will call or visit the Samaritan's Purse website today. And I know God's going to bless you for helping people in need. Well, from rideshare getaway cars to lawnmowers that top 100 miles an hour, we've got the news that ought to be on the cover of Better Heist and Gardens on a segment we call In Case You Missed It. Well, you remember last week we showed you a host of unique gifts for Father's Day. But if you want to know what dad really wants, here it is. In Dresden, Germany, a Honda riding mower made it into the Guinness Book of World Records. And I know you're asking, for what? Well, going from zero to 100 miles per hour in 6.29 seconds. A lawnmower. It's called the Honda Mean Machine, and yes, it does have a cutting blade. In fact, it could cut your average size lawn, well, in 6.29 seconds. That is, of course, if the yard was very long and skinny. Now, the mower was driven by a professional stunt driver, so this is not one of those, hey, honey, watch this kind of moments, okay, just to let you know. You know, this Tim Allen-style trend for more power in lawn equipment, I think it could actually help us with U.S. border security. I mean, we wouldn't need a, need a border wall at all if Honda could just build us a giant leaf blower that's strong enough to blow everyone back across the border. Huh? Hey, look, I know that idea is full of hot air, and I've already gotten a little long-winded on this story, so let's move on. Hey, if you've ever been caught speeding, and I know some of this audience has, what was your best excuse? Oh, I didn't see the sign, or I was going with the flow of traffic. Well, I want you to add one more to the list that I bet you've never thought of. I just ate hot wings. <laughs> Up in Canada last week, a young man got pulled over for speeding, running faster than a scalded dog, as they say here in Tennessee. 
Officers clocked about 105 miles an hour. Now, for those of you in Canada, that's 168.19 kilometers per hour, just so you can make the translation. The treacherous teen driver told the officer that he was driving so fast because he had eaten really, really hot chicken wings and things weren't going so well gastronomically. <laughs> he needed relief and he needed it fast. Well, according to the Royal Canadian Mounties, the 16-year-old was driving a Chevy Camaro, which I think is the perfect car for fast trips to the restroom, of course. The speedy teen got fined $727 for speeding and 150 bucks for driving without a supervising adult. Hmm. Now, Governor, wait a minute. Now, now, I'm no officer of the peace. That's for sure. But I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking maybe that young fella wore the same outfit for the rest of the day. Would have been a nice reminder. Never drive while under the influence of hot wings. Yeah, you know what, Keith? I thought you were going to say that that kid thought if he had wings, he could fly. Well, then there's that, yeah. Well, summer is here, and it's the time for fellas to break out the sandals, the flip-flops, and the men's lace shorts. That's right, construction workers and lumberjacks on holiday. Men's lace shorts are this summer's fashion surprise. And can you believe it? They're even see-through. Now, the question for red-blooded American men to answer is this. Is this just a fad, or is it fabulous? Now, before this runs off the rails into some kind of sexual identity clothing discussion, let's just stick with fashion here. Perhaps comparing the men's lace summer shorts to other fashion trends, we'll just put it all in perspective. Let me give, an ins for instance, for ladies who enjoy ping pong, there's this lovely outfit. And if you have some plastic wrap lying around the kitchen, you could step out in this number right here. But remember, poke breathing holes in it. <laughs> And finally, why not one-up the Middle Eastern burqa with a little fashion district color and modesty? No temptation eyes with this number on, that's for sure. And fellas, if you actually do go with the men's lace summer shorts, and I'm praying you don't, then remember to get this fashionable flower hat to top off the ensemble. <laughs> By the way, fertilizer is not included. Now we go to Dateline, Portage, Indiana, 20-year-old man, his name is Issa Amir Ishtawi. He allegedly broke into a mobile home and fired several shots inside and out before staging his getaway. But he forgot one thing, a getaway car. <laughs> so he did what everyone does these days. He called Uber or Lyft. You know, one of those getaway car sharing services. Well, the police caught the car and arrested Ishtawi on multiple charges, but it wasn't all bad news. No, police gave the driver a five-star rating for vehicle cleanliness and communication. But Ishtawi only got one star and a ride with the officers to jail. Now, next time he wants to shoot up a mobile home, he ought to try one of those electric scooter rentals. Of course, it'll probably be a long time before Mr. Ishtawi rides again. But on the plus side, he's going to get great cell service in prison. <laughs> Did you get that cell service? So, all of us are familiar with the idea of a doggy bag. That's to bring home the last bit of delicious food from a great restaurant. But things have gotten a little carried away in New York, and I mean literally. The New York subway has a clear rule that no person may bring any animal on or into any conveyance or facility unless enclosed in a container. Well, as you know, there's no one more willing to follow the rules than New Yorkers. <laughs> so creative dog owners have come up with their own doggy bags. Yep, in every size, shape, and color to make sure that they could bring their dog on the subway. <laughs> uh, well, I tell you. Uh, hey, Governor, nobody told me I had lines. Obviously, they didn't. And after tonight, you won't again. <laughs> hey, Governor. Just read your cue, Trey. It's not that hard. Right there on the screen. I mean, like, right there. I was setting up for the next song. You know, Governor, my dog drives me crazy. He runs the door every time someone's there, but it's never for him. Hmm. That joke was much funnier earlier. Go ahead and finish the joke. I mean, if you're going to tell one, go ahead and get to the punchline. That's, that's the only joke? 
Well, I'm not sure how long New York Transit Authority is going to let this go on. But in the meantime, New Yorkers, we salute your creativity. Well, if you thought you'd get us to open yet another investigation on the President of their Congress, I'm sorry, but we've run out of time. But always remember, we read the news. Well, folks, we're just getting started tonight, so buckle up and get ready for the latest from Keith Bilton. Coming up from gang violence to spreading peace, meet Casey Diaz. Then, actress Jennifer O'Neill brings emotional healing to the hurting, and country music artist Wade Hayes performs on Huckabee. Welcome back, and our thanks to Trey Corley and the Music City Connection for bringing us back in. Now, growing up on the main streets of L.A., my next guest became one of the most violent gang leaders in all of California. He found himself behind bars in solitary confinement. That's when a miracle changed his life completely. It's all in his amazing book called The Shot Caller. Would you welcome, please, Casey Diaz. Casey, welcome. Thank you. Great to have you here. Great to be here. The title of your book intrigues me. The Shot Caller. What is a shot caller? A shot caller is a gang leader within a prison system in California. And it's very, um, it's someone who has the ability and the pull to basically move any, any kind of um, crime enterprise within inside the CDC uh, uh, prison system. To sort of frame this, you weren't just a guy who made a few mistakes, went and got in trouble, went to prison. I mean, you really did some rough stuff. Yeah, you know, I joined the gang at 11 years old. 11. 11 years old, and then um, uh, rough upbringing in uh, what's called the, the Rampart District of Los Angeles. And, um, you know, at 16, I was uh, arrested for a second degree murder of a, a rival mm. gang member, mm. and which um, I would then uh, get arrested and sent to uh, New Folsom State Prison. But you were tried as an adult, even though you yes. were only 16. Yeah, uh, California at that time had just um, uh, started their system of trying young people as adults of uh, violent crimes. And so um, when I got to New Folsom, because of the, the degree of violence of, you know, there's a, a scoring system of one to 100. And so the higher your points, I went in there with 97 points. Which, Whoa. which meant I would serve my entire sentence in solitary confinement. Why did you join a gang? Well, you know, it, it was a lack of, um, uh, there was no father figure. Mm. There was, but there wasn't. Um, he was a, uh, an abusive father, uh, not just verbally, but physically. Uh, beat my mom uh, mm. almost every other day. Um, and my mom was a seamstress, worked, you know, from four in the morning, 10 at night. Uh, so there was no, like, supervision uh, with me. And so the streets, you know, gave me a, a false sense of family. And that was uh, the, the beginning of many uh, bad decisions. Man, thinking about that on Father's Day, mm. when so many kids across this country don't know who their fathers are, some of them really don't have a great relationship with their father, and you're reminding us once again that dads matter. Yes. They really matter. Yeah, you know, uh, it's imp uh, the, the role of a father is so important. I have three kids now. Um, mm. I got two uh, that are going, uh, one that just finished her first year in college, at a Christian university, and my second one is going to Biola. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, obviously, something pretty dramatic happened between going to Folsom at 16, getting a score of 97 as one of the baddest dudes in the system, and you're sitting here talking to me. Uh, what happened in your life that transformed you, and now you've got children going to college, a whole different life? What happened? Um, you know, uh, solitary... Uh, 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 let me paint a picture of solitary okay. for you. You're in there with a pair of sh uh, boxer shirts, white boxer shirts, T-shirt, a blanket, and roll, roll of toilet paper, and they tell you, make it last. Um, you're wow. there by yourself. There's absolutely nothing in there but your thoughts. And, um, you know, there's times when it's quiet, 
and there's times when it's, it's loud and noisy. Um, but let me, you know, if you look at a parking space, it's about eight feet by 10 feet. You know, you could barely, you know, stretch out your hands, mm. uh, your arms, and uh, you're in there, and there's moments where desperation hits uh, because we're in there 23 hours out of the day. Um, and till this day, you know, and I've been born again for quite a long time, uh, you'll never forget the, the, the screams and the, the, the solitude that, that really takes over a, a, a man's life in there. And uh, there's nowhere to hang yourself. There's nothing that you could do. And uh, one of the things that, that I'll never forget is we all knew when somebody wanted to uh, you know, end their life there. And what they would do is run from the end of the cell and head first against Good you know, prison metal yeah. in hopes that they would uh, break their necks. And those, those sounds, they stay with you. Oh. And, um, you know, but in the cell, uh, this little Baptist church uh, came once a month for just a few minutes. And uh, a lady by the name of Frances Proctor uh, approached my cell. She was discouraged uh, initially to approach my cell by the guards. And finally, uh, they gave her permission to do that. And she came in there, she approached my cell and we talked for a little bit and uh, I didn't want nothing to do with, I, with what she was offering. She was offering Jesus, a Bible study and some stuff like that and I, I just refused it. And she said something to me very colorful while I was in there. She said, Darwin, she said, this is my, my birth name. She says, um, I'm gonna pray for you and Jesus is going to use you. And she did that for a year and six months. She mm -hmm. dedicated her life to interceding for my life and uh, had an experience in which I share very vividly in the book of how I came to Christ. And it was, uh, it, you know, it, it changed my heart. It changed my life. Um, immediately, I had to step down from my leadership at New Folsom State Prison as, as a shot caller. And uh, a hit was placed in my life. Wow. Somebody else was calling the shots and yeah. they were calling them out on you. Uh, just some lady named Frances who's not in the headlines. She's not, no. you know, a scholar or a theologian, just some lady from a church. And she prays for you and said, God is going to use you. Yeah. Well, you know what? He is. He is using you. She was right. I, it's, it's an amazing story, Casey, of how God took that love, unconditional love of a lady who had no reason to love you. Did that really kind of unsettle you that here she is showing you compassion when she didn't have to? Nobody was paying her to do that. You know, it, 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 um, I had never been in church before. Nobody had ever told me about Jesus, the Bible, or anything like that. When I came to, uh, when I encountered Christ in my cell there by myself, uh, I mean, your eyes really truly open and your heart opens. And I knew that it wasn't that I had did things, uh, things the wrong way, it's that I had sinned before God. Hmm. And that was, you know, something happened in my heart and uh, I, I, she's my spiritual mother. Uh, I love her. Uh, and she's been able to watch you grow up and have a family and live a life. And I hope she still loves you even after you've been on my show. I hope so. You know, that's, <laughs> Casey, what amazing Thank story you. you have to share. Thank you. And every bit of it is in Casey's book. It's called The Shot Caller. It's available right now on Amazon. And if you want to get a little sample of it, and I think you're going to want to after hearing Casey's amazing story, you can get two chapters for free. Go to CaseyDiaz.net. That's CaseyDiaz.net. It's on your screen. And you can invite him to speak to your church or maybe a group in your community. Follow him on Facebook at Casey Diaz Author. And Twitter, follow him at TheShotCallerBK. Now, Keith... You're going to call some shots and tell us what's coming up next. I would love to. Next, Jennifer O'Neill at Hill and Blade Farms. Then Wade Hayes performed right here on Huckabee. My next guest stole the heart of every young man on the planet in the classic film, Summer of 42. She's one of the most successful actresses, models, and spokespersons in history. But she's also 
a tireless champion for pro-life causes, as well as important charities, including her horse farm that helps veterans overcome PTSD. It is quite an honor for us to welcome Jennifer O'Neill. Can I just tell you what an honor and thrill it is for me to meet you and have you here on my show? Thank oh you for gosh, being here. Oh my gosh, it's my pleasure, my pleasure. One of the first big movies you did was with the Duke himself, John Absolutely. Wayne. Absolutely, what a gentleman. He was an amazing man. I came out of acting school in uh -huh. New York. I wanted to work with Al Pacino. The Duke was more of a star than an actor to me. What a mistake I made. He was, I was 21 years old. He was delightful. It was the year he won the Academy Award for True Grit. He was a gentleman. He was on time. He helped all the young actors. You have worked with, I mean, so many people in the business. Robert Duvall. You've worked with Donald Sutherland, James Coburn. I mean, the, yeah. the list is endless. Was there anybody in particular in, in the work that you have done that you just said, that guy is such a craftsman as an actor? that overwhelmed you? It was actually Robert Duvall. Yeah. I, I would go to the rushes afterwards, that's something that you see the dailies afterwards, and just study this man who seemed to be doing nothing and then exploded on the screen. He was my favorite actor, and then Visconti, as a director in Italy, was my favorite director. And of course, Mulligan, Summer 42. Oh. I mean, that, that's an immortal film that people are still watching today. Oh, I've got to tell you a quick story. Love to hear it. Women over the years came, would come up to me and they would say, my husband's in love with you. <laughs> and then years later, they would say, my husband's in love with you and so is my son. <laughs> <laughs> so isn't, they keep showing But isn't great. that wonderful to hear that kind of thing? Yeah, well, it, it's a classic. It was a beautiful yeah. film. Well, you have done so many things, acting, modeling, but one of the things that you love and have been a part of since you were a little girl is uh, equestrian yes, life. Yes, horses. Horses. I think I came out of the womb wanting a horse. My parents didn't get it, so I started working at 15 modeling to buy a horse. And you bought a horse with the money that you made? I did, and then God has just recycled my dreams into doing equine-assisted therapy for our veterans, first responders, and their families since uh. 2010. Yes. We've served over 4,000 oh. at the farm. What is it about working with horses that helps these veterans and first responders cope with stress? When you have an animal uh, in a round pen and it weighs 10 times more than you, you have to be present. Hmm. And you have to communicate. They're not like a dog and wag their tail and just come up to you. They check you out because they think that you're going to kill them. Huh. So what, what it does is it requires communication, relationship, and coping skills that then you can apply to your normal day uh, work or the family. We work with the whole family unit as well. You know, when I think about how many people you have helped through this process, uh, I mean, it's pretty remarkable. And, and it all started from your time as a little girl just wanting to have a horse. We in the private sector say we want to help our military. And we can more than we say we, we think we can. We must do something, and we must use all our resources to help them. Because we really do owe them something. We truly do. Well, speaking of the things that you do for other people, an issue that you're very passionate about and very outspoken about, and mm. it's unusual for people in Hollywood to have this kind of outspokenness, and that's for the sanctity of human life, the oh, belief absolutely. that every life has value and worth. I had an abortion well before I came to my faith at 38 mm. years old. I was one of the 80 percentile of uh, women, uh, young ladies, who are pressured either by family or economics or whatever. I just folded, and I was shattered by that effect. Mm. And afterwards, when I came to the Lord at 38, I had to face that issue. Mm. And I had received God's grace in all areas of my life except for that. I thought that I had allowed that abortion to happen. It was heinous, and it was bigger than what Jesus Christ mm. did on the cross. And so I encourage women 
um, who have had an abortion to understand that God has grace, forgiveness, and healing, that we can become billboards for the truth, that if you've suffered an abortion, you know somebody who suffered an abortion, that there is hope and healing in that area as well. And that's a beautiful message that so many women need to hear. And how bold and courageous you are to share that story with such candor, Thank but you. also with God's grace and forgiveness, because I think that's the real story. Yes. Is that there's no such thing as a sin that is bigger than God's love and forgiveness. Absolutely. And, well, I want to say thanks to Jennifer O'Neill, who is a beautiful lady inside and out, truly. And you can follow all her projects at jenniferoneill.com, and that's O'Neill with two L's. And to learn about Killing Glade Hope and Healing or to donate this wonderful project that she does with horses and our veterans and first responders. If you'd like to donate and help get involved or buy items to support the mission to help veterans, visit killinglade.org. It is on the screen to get the spelling just right. And Keith Bilby is standing by to tell us what's next. Well, coming up, country music singer Wade Hayes shares his amazing story and song. Huckabee's back at 60 seconds. And welcome back. Now, when my next guest burst onto the country music scene, it was with his number one hit, Old Enough to Know Better. He writes and he sings songs all about life's heartaches and hopes, including a heartache of his very own. Would you please welcome our friend Wade Hayes. Wade, great to have you here. It's my pleasure, my pleasure. You've had a great success story in country music, but you've had some tough bumps along the way. Diagnosed yeah. with stage four colon cancer yes. in 2011. 2011, and thought I had it whipped, and uh, it came back. Oh. And I got to repeat the whole process. I've lost track of how many surgeries I've had and all the chemotherapy. But thank God, um, I'm at six years cancer-free now. That's oh, great. It's a miracle. We are all happy about that. Thank you. But you had a friend that really helped you through all of this, an unusual friend. Yes. I, I guess it would be fair to say man's best friend. You had yes. a dog, still have yes. him, still a have dog him. named Jack that helped yeah. you through. Jack is a very, very funny dog, very charming dog. He has learned how to smile for treats. <laughs> now, I'm not kidding you. He actually smiles. I have pictures of it. And there has not been a day go by that that dog has not made me laugh or smile. There's not been a day. Mm. And I love him very, very much. You know, I, I have the same feeling about my dogs, and I've often heard that if you wonder who really loves you the most, yeah. put your wife and your dog in the trunk <laughs> of a car and leave them there for a couple of hours, uh, come yeah. open it up and see which one's glad to see you. Yeah, I told you you'd find out pretty quick. Can I recommend something? It ain't the wife. <laughs> I would never try that with my wife. Uh, well, I wouldn't either, but uh, <laughs> I'm really honored to have you here. Your story is a powerful story and a wonderful encouragement and a reminder not to give up. Yes, sir. Well, I want to say as Wade gets ready to perform for us, Keith, why don't you tell the folks at home how they can get Wade's wonderful music. For all things Wade Hayes, including concert schedules, T-shirts, and music, please go to wadehayes.com and get your own copy of Wade's new single, Who Saved Who. It's available on iTunes. Now, here to perform is Wade Hayes. I first met him, he was digging through the trash. And in all night filling station, he was looking for some scraps, and he was frail. Like he'd been a while alone. He came to the truck, he jumped right in the front seat. He had a half-eaten pizza crust clamped in his crooked teeth and he smiled like he was finally home and he's been with me through hell and back again and I know it's often said but he has been my best friend to call him rescue 
But I'm not sure that's true Cause there's times I wonder Who saved who At first it was trying Cause he was still a pup There's no telling how much furniture And shoes that he chewed up But it was worth it When we got through that first year Cause for dang near a decade He's been the constant in my life And he helped pull me through What were my darkest times And I know I'm sure thankful he was here Cause he's been with me through hell back again and I know it's often said but he has been my best friend to call him a rescue but I'm not sure that's true cause there's times I wonder who say to all the roads we've ridden, all the miles that we've walked and Everything he's seen and heard, I'm sure glad he can't talk I just hope and pray that he can stay at least another ten Cause I know I'm nowhere strong enough for life without him Cause he's been with me through hell and back again and I know it's often said But that dog, he has been my best friend They call him a rescue But I'm not sure that's true Cause there's times I wonder Who saved who Old Jack, I think I know just who saved who?